But I'm also trying to talk to people about these things and, and let them know like why it's safe, what to do if they have a flare-up, because sometimes that does happen during rehab, and I want them to know that it doesn't mean they're doing the wrong thing or that the rehab's not working. It just means that we potentially like need to modify. So I think it's kind of important to figure out where your athlete is at on that spectrum and adjust expectations and maybe even the protocol accordingly. Welcome back to the Clinical Athlete Podcast. If you're not familiar with Clinical Athlete, we're a network of healthcare providers, students, and coaches who specialize in the management of athletes. We have two missions. The first mission is to connect athletes with professionals who they can trust. And our second mission is to create a community and support the education of those professionals and future professionals in the realm of athlete health and performance. This podcast is one way that we fulfill those missions. So if you are one of our six listeners who enjoy the show, do us a favor and give it a rating on your favorite podcast platform so that we can get the info out to as many people as possible. In fact, pause this right now, take three seconds, hit that five star, give us a nice little review, boom, duty fulfilled. To learn more about Clinical Athlete, head on over to the website, clinicalathlete.com, and join the free Kalu community Facebook group where Clinical Athlete and the Level Up Initiative communities have combined to form an amazing group with several different types of learning opportunities. You can join the Kalu community Facebook group by clicking the link in the show notes. My name is Quinn Hennick. I'm a doctor of physical therapy in Orange County, California at Clinical Athlete Newport. On this show, we are joined by our usual co-hosts, Jared Maynard and John Flagg. Jared is a clinical athlete provider, a physiotherapist in Waterloo, Ontario, Canada, and an online powerlifting coach. John is a clinical athlete provider, a certified athletic trainer, and online powerlifting, weightlifting, and strongman coach, and the lead instructor of the clinical athlete powerlifting certification. On this show, we are pumped to welcome Natasha Barnes. Natasha has been a clinical athlete provider and part of the community since its inception in 2015. She's a badass clinician, a badass strength coach, and a super badass climber. In fact, Natasha had spent years competing at the elite level in climbing, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about. This show is all about the climbing athlete, and Natasha drops some serious knowledge. We hope you enjoy. Natasha Barnes, thank you so much for being on the Clinical Athlete Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. We're really excited. So Natasha, I don't know if you remember, but like almost exactly six years ago, you were one of the first OG clinical athlete providers. We were on the phone with you during the summer of like 2015. You were the, one of the very first clinical athlete um, providers on the directory. And you've, you've been in, within the community since, and uh, it's just been awesome to, to see your growth and your evolution with your practice and your own training and just everything. So it's just been, it's about time we have you on the show, and we're really, really excited. Um, and we're going to talk about the climbing athlete. And this is something that we've not talked about on the podcast, which is also why we're very, very excited, because I know that I'm going to learn a ton. But let's start the conversation by Natasha, you kind of given a background on yourself 
and um, what, kind of what's led you to your current interests and, uh, you know, why climbing athletes and, and we can go from there. Cool. Yeah. I, I do remember that. I remember the phone conversation that we had um, and it was a long time ago, but um, definitely have a lot to thank clinical athlete for actually in terms of like my evolution as a rehab provider. So it's been really great to be part of the community. Um, so in terms of my background, I have been rock climbing for 23 years. Um, started when I was like 16. Actually, I started earlier than that, but I took a little break and then restarted when I was like 16. Um, and I was a professional climber for a really long time. So I got paid to climb and compete. And sort of like through my own injuries and my frustration with my own climbing-related injuries, that's sort of how I came to the decision to go to school. Um, I want, the, the goal being I wanted to be able to help other climbing athletes with their injuries. And there wasn't really any climbing doctors or PTs or anyone who really understood climbing injuries at the time. Um, and I had had a pretty, pretty significant finger injury, which for a normal person sounds like, oh my God, your finger, like such a small thing. But for climbers, it's like a really, really, really big deal because that's literally what's holding you on the wall. If anybody who's listening climbs, they know that um, a little injury in your finger can really hold, set you back in terms of your climbing. Um, and for me at the time, I didn't know what to do about it. So I just took the classic advice of like, just rest until it gets better. <laughs> I ended up resting for six months and not climbing for six months. And of course it didn't get better. Um, so at a certain point, I just decided to, uh, start climbing on it. Cause I was like, what, how could this possibly get worse? Like maybe if I climb on it and I make it worse, maybe then I can get like a surgery or something that will help fix. Like I had no idea, you know? And I started climbing on it, and the first time I climbed on it, I remember being like, oh, this doesn't feel really that great. Like, I feel like I'm making it worse, but oh, well, this is what I decided to do. And at that point, my fingers started healing. It started getting better. It got better and better as I climbed on it, and I sort of, like, made this connection. Like, wow, you have to, like, use this to, like, make it better. Like, I didn't realize this. I thought you just had to rest. Um, and so that was, like, a big moment for me. Um, and then that you know, after that, I decided to go to school. Um, I chose chiropractic school because I'm a chiropractor, um, for those that don't know. Um, and I chose chiropractic school because my dad had gone to a chiropractor who was like a sports chiropractor growing up. And my dad was like an athlete growing up. And I got to see how that chiropractor helped my dad with his injuries, not only like through chiropractic, but also through like rehab and stuff like that. And so I knew that as a chiropractor, I would also be able to do like exercise rehab and stuff like that. Uh, so went to school for that. But obviously, um, you know, a lot has changed since I've been to school in terms of like how I practice and how I apply the things I learned in school. Uh, but I went to chiropractic school. And um, shortly after that, like um, I, you know, I also suffered from a few other climbing related injuries, specifically shoulder injuries. Um, and in my first job out of chiropractic school, there was actually a powerlifting or like kettlebell slash powerlifting gym next to where I used to work. And I used to walk past it every day and I would see like the trainers just hanging out there, like doing kettlebell stuff, barbell stuff. And I don't know, one day I was like, you know what? Like 
this is something I should try. I kind of like feel like this is something that would help me not only as an athlete, but also like with the shoulder injuries that I was having because I did the classic rehab stuff that tr- people are traditionally given for shoulder injuries and it helped a little bit, but it wasn't quite getting me back to climbing. And I knew um, as an athlete, as a climber, um, I have historically like just pretty strong fingers just naturally, which is kind of awesome for climbing. And um, also I was lucky enough to have some great climbing coaches growing up. And so my technique was pretty good for climbing. It's a very like skill dependent sport, but I really lacked in just like pure physical raw strength. I felt like that was something that really held me back. And I knew that um, like strength was also something, strength training was also something that could potentially help me build more capacity for climbing. Um, So I decided to join that gym. (laughs) I went by adopted them and I joined that gym and I started working with kettlebells um, at first and then transitioned over to barbell stuff. And then through that, I also played around with like a little bit of CrossFit. And then through doing CrossFit, I realized like, actually, I just like the barbell stuff. <laughs> did a little bit of Olympic weightlifting for a little while. I actually did one competition in weightlifting. Um, and then I got really into powerlifting and sort of got pretty sidetracked for, for powerlifting from climbing. So I took a few years off of climbing. I took probably the last four years um, and focused exclusively on powerlifting. Um, and I'm sort of like getting back into climbing right now. So that's kind of like the whole story. <laughs> I think it's a great like uh, segue to the entire conversation because we're going to talk about common injuries with the climbing athlete, but also the strength and conditioning for, for the climbing athlete and, and what that looks like. Um, but you did a, a case study for um, clinical athlete in, in Kalu a couple months back, and the focus was on hand and fi- a finger injury. It was a case study discussion. It was really awesome. I, I learned a ton. And I guess to, to start the conversation off here, Common climbing injuries that you would see, you mentioned the the hand and the finger for a climber, almost like I'm kind of thinking like what's synonymous for a field sport athlete, maybe like a knee injury where you just kind of dread like, uh uh-oh, you know, I've got a a pulley injury or something like that. Can you go through some of the common injuries for the climbing athlete athlete that that you would see both as an athlete and what to expect as a clinician as, as they're coming in with these things? Yeah. Um, so for climbers, definitely the number one injury I see and the number one injury that according to, if you look at some of the research on climbing, which there's not a ton, but there is starting to become more and more studies on this, uh, finger injuries are the number one injury that you're going to see. Um, they're really, really common. Um, climbing is like almost a hundred percent, like your fingers are important because that's what's holding you onto the wall. So that's what the most common thing you're going to see is specifically like pulley injuries, so annular um, ligament injuries, which are these ligaments that basically hold your flexor tendon to the bone for your fingers. So your finger flexor tendons go from the tip of your finger to the inside of your elbow, and your pulleys actually hold the tendon to the bone along your finger, um, and there are a few of them. Uh, so those are the most common. You, you'll also get like flexor uh, tendon strains and things like that. But pulley injuries are are more common. Um, and probably the second most common thing is shoulder injuries. Climbing like an overhead sport. Um, shoulder injuries are like very very common. Um, and then probably third elbow injuries. Um, 
and that's that's what I see traditionally, and that's also what what's shown in the research as well for what's more common. Are there special considerations from a rehab standpoint, thinking, trying to differentiate between a pulley and an elbow and a shoulder because it's going to be upper extremity, but then with each one of those, do you have kind of separate buckets other than just like graded exposure back to climbing? Because you mentioned that, hey, I just started climbing again and things got better. Like you have to use these, these tissues, but like a pulley injury specifically, are there specific things in rehab removed from climbing that you would want to do to rehab something like that? Or is it just time and graded exposure back to activity? I mean, honestly, a lot of the time, it probably is time and graded exposure back to activity, but depending on the person's symptoms, uh, there's other things that you can do. So specifically for like finger injuries, for example, um, with climbing, um, you can't really control the stress that's happening to the fingers because it's going to depend on like the climbs that people are getting on the angle of the wall the type of grip there's so much variability in it so a better way to do it where it's more measurable and controllable is on a hangboard Um, and a hangboard is basically just a tool that a lot of climbers have at home but they also have at the climbing gym it's just a board that has a bunch of different size edges on it Um, And we can do some hangs on those edges for rehab. Um, And it's very controllable because you're not, you know, dynamically loading anything. Uh, You can do that later, but you're not dynamically loading anything. You know exactly what edge size you're on. We know exactly how much load you're using. And there's a bunch of different ways to do that. Um, For a lot of people, it sounds crazy to be able to hang from like a fingertip edge. for rehab but like a lot of climbers have that strength already even while they're injured Um, so that's a pretty good way to rehab those things Um, there's also other tools that um, you can use to use less than body weight so there's um, little tools that you can use like I like to use something called a tension block tensions just the brand of the company but they make like this grip tool that has a bunch of different kinds of edges on it and basically you can clip weight to it so like at my office I'll clip like a kettlebell to it and I could literally have someone start with like two and a half pounds if I wanted to um and so that's one way to do it with less than body weight but a lot of gyms will have at at the gym like a way to offload weight either through like a pulley system or um Climbers can attach bands to the hangboard itself and, and offload that way if they can't do body weight. Um, but yeah, depending on the person's symptoms, like some people are able to start with body weight um, and an added weight. Like I've had climbers start on a um, 15 millimeter edge, which is going to be just to give you an idea, it's less than a fin- than this part of your the distal part of your fingertip. It's less than that. So it's smaller than that, and it's probably like two thirds of your distal fingertip. Um, plus 35 pounds added to this person's body weight is like probably the most I've ever started someone at for rehab, but it's kind of like what you guys might see for a power lifter. Like that sounds crazy, but like, I, I guarantee you, John or you Quinn or, or Jared has worked with somebody who, you know, squats 600 pounds plus and like rehab weight for them is three plates or something like that. And to like a normal person's like, what? You're squatting 315 with like back pain? Crazy. But that's like way less than what they would normally do. So, um, and then also I've had people who've had to start with like literally like five pounds because that's all their symptoms could handle. So there's lots of ways to grade the exposure, um, but that's a really good way to do it because it's controllable, it's measurable. Um, and it's something that you would do off the wall. 
I love that because one thing you mentioned is like, okay, great exposure back to climbing is, yes, that's going to be a part of it when we can. But like you said, you can't, it's hard to quantify what exactly that exposure is going to be because it's going to be different every time. It's, it's the same with like anything, field sport athlete. All right, well, let's get back to into practice. You don't know what that practice is going to look like. Are there, you know, sprinting, you know, all these things are, are, are unpredictable. And so that hangboard, it sounds like it gives you so many options because you've got the different grips, you've got the different depth uh, uh, and demand on the fingers. You've got, you can manipulate the body load, the load going into the finger, the time, obviously the dosage and, and, you know, how much time that you're looking to do in those positions. And so you have all these things that you can, that you can manipulate. Would you say if you had to like uh, start with a hierarchy, so if, if a clinician's like, okay, this makes total sense, hangboard, like a hierarchy of um, needs in terms of programming for something like that, would you say I'm going to manipulate load first or would you say I'm going to manipulate the grip type and then yeah. everything revolves around that? Yeah, so it kind of depends on the the athlete. Generally, like the way, and there's some gems and all of that, the way that I usually do it is I'll have a client come in, we'll talk about their injury, we'll talk about like kind of like where they're at in the sport of climbing in terms of like what their strength level is, because some people can't, or they're just not going to be able to hang on an edge, like a small edge, even if they're, um, you know, they don't have an injury. Uh, So in that case, I may start with using a different grip, something that's a little bit larger, um, but ideally for, for these injuries, um, to stress the annular ligaments appropriately, um, we're going to use a grip that's called a half crimp. So a crimp is kind of like a position that you're doing with your finger where like a half crimp generally we're looking for like a 90 degree angle at the, um, at the pip joint and an open crimp would be something, you know, larger than that. Uh, for the police to be adequately stressed, we want to be at like 90, um, according to the research anyway. Um, if somebody is not, is super symptomatic, we could start them with like a bigger edge or a more open hand grip, and we could ease them into this half crimp grip. Um, so I'm kind of, when I first see a client, I'm kind of evaluating, okay, what, what do I think they're going to be able to do based on their climbing history? And then I'm going to use my best guess to start them with something like really easy on the hangboard. So maybe we start on like some really big edges and warm them up and work them down to like the appropriate edge size. And if they're able to do that without um, aggravating their symptoms too bad, then maybe we're going to start adding some load. Um, But first I'm taking a history to kind of see like, okay, where is this athlete at? What do I think they're going to be able to handle? Kind of like you would, if you were like a barbell athlete, like you would ask someone, okay, like what are you squatting right now in training? Like if someone is squatting 700 pounds, like I'm probably going to be okay with them starting with some weight on the bar is what I'm theorizing. Um, If they're squatting like 95 pounds, then maybe not, um, depending on the symptoms and all of that. So just kind of using my best judgment and then we're testing in the clinic to see like where they can start. Or if I'm doing like a remote consultation with them, I'm having them go through a test and I'm having them start with like the easiest possible thing they could start with working up to the hardest thing they can do. And that's going to be like our, with, you know, with minimal symptoms. And then that's going to be our starting point. I love conversations like this because the principles just super, they, they span all populations and athletes. You're like, find a starting point, 
Let's find some quantifiable, repeatable, reliable ways to load so that we can track progress and just kind of and slow cook this thing over time based on what you're prepared for now and, and you know, what level you're, you're trying to get to. Do you get pushback? Because I'm thinking of like the Natasha, the version of you that you talked about way back when, when you got injured and you, t- you were like, okay, rest, six months. Now, working with the athletes that you do, do you get pushback from the athletes? And maybe that's too harsh of a, of a thing, but what is the, what's the feel in the climbing community in terms of strength and conditioning, in terms of actually loading to get back into sport versus like rest? And um, do you get some, are, are there some barriers that you have to kind of break through to get people to kind of push into these things a little bit? Yeah, definitely. Um, sometimes it, it really depends. Um, I feel like it's kind of starting to become common knowledge finally now in the climbing world that like if you have a finger injury, you probably need to stress it, which is great. Um, although, you know, there's still the narratives of like, oh, just rest it. Um, so it de- kind of depends on like where people are getting their information from. And, but I find that like when I'm doing an evaluation with a client, I'm trying to figure out like I find that people are either going to be on the side of like they're super gung-ho and they want to go for it. They want to get back into climbing as soon as possible. Like, oh, hell yeah, I, I can do a hangboard program. Let's go. I'm going to like I'm going to load it up. Um, and then like they have the risk of overdoing it versus like people who are a little bit more scared, like, oh my God, I've, I came here with a finger injury. You're telling me to load my finger. I maybe have never even done hangboarding before this injury. I don't know. Um, and I think that's where, um, you know, kind of getting an idea of where someone's at in terms of how they're feeling about what we're going to do for rehab and starting them off like where it makes sense for them. So if somebody's kind of like um, needs to pump the brakes a little bit and I can tell, then I might change my prescription for them. So like for people who kind of love to overdo it and I know they're going to kind of, they may like go a little too hard. um, I'll change the parameters of the hangboard workout. So I'll make them hang for longer because they're not going to be able to go as heavy Um, And I'll use like basically a lower RPE so that they're not like going to overdo it. And then we can kind of build up from there. Um, For people who are a little more scared, maybe I'm going to walk them through it a little more slowly. Maybe I'll have them start with something really comfortable, like hanging on a really big edge to show them that it's okay. Um, And we'll ramp them up a little more slowly. Um, But for someone like that, I may potentially give them a slightly more aggressive protocol because I know they may understood it a little bit, if that makes sense. Um, but I'm also trying to talk to people about these things and, and let them know like why it's safe, what to do if they have a flare up, because sometimes that does happen during rehab. And I want them to know that it doesn't mean they're doing the wrong thing or that the rehab's not working. It just means that we potentially like need to modify. So I think it's kind of important to figure out where your client, where your athlete is at on that spectrum and adjust expectations and maybe even the protocol accordingly quick follow-up on that too. When it comes to climbing as a whole, and maybe it's easy to answer, maybe it's not, are there any trends in terms of how how readily climbers will, will like look for, for help if they have some sort of injury? And I recognize the answer to that probably has more to do with the person than like being able to paint everyone with the same color brush, but curious about whether there's, whether climbers 
like these days, or the ones that you see are more ready to kind of tag someone in, or if it's kind of like a, eh, I'll keep going as long as I can. Yeah, it is kind of all over the place. Um, I have personally found that when someone finally gets to me, it's because they've tried a bunch of things. Like they've either just waited until it's just they can't handle it anymore, or they've tried to get advice from all their friends. There's a lot of like um, Facebook groups and um like resources that climbers can go to Reddit, things like that, where people will try to go find like their own, uh, they'll ask other climbers like, Hey, I have this thing. Like, what do you guys think it is? And what do you think I should do? And every, you know, you've, you've probably seen those threads before. Try acupuncture, try an anti-inflammatory diet, try icing, try stretching, try this, like everything you can think of. Um, and so a lot of times when I'm seeing someone, they've already gone that route or, uh, they just waited until they couldn't handle it anymore and it was impacting their climbing too much. Or they've actually seen other rehab professionals who maybe didn't understand climbing as well and, like, that that strategy maybe didn't work for them. Um, I feel like a lot of climbers are DIY kind of, so a lot of people will try to go and find advice online or try to Google it or try to, like, figure it out on their own beforehand, which is fine. I mean, sometimes people do well with that and they can find a good answer and they're able to, like, get back to climbing that way. But... um I feel like having someone who understands like climbing and understands like where you're at with your climbing and like what your goals are and like what the requirements are for the sport is really important because it'll kind of cut out all that noise for that person and send them on the right path in terms of like the rehab. hundred percent. So <laughs> which do you think has the worst advice, Facebook climbing groups or Facebook powerlifting groups? <laughs> that is a hard one. <laughs> So I've seen some, I've seen some things. Um, I bet you have. Yeah. I, I don't know. That's a toss up. I've seen equally bad advice on both. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't spent much time in, in climbing groups, but if it's anything similar to the cesspool that is a lot of Facebook powerlifting groups, it's, it's all just a ride. Yeah, totally. Although I will say that like in climbing groups, there's more, uh, like I think people are, like are a little bit more into like, some really funny things like like weird diets and things like that. I don't know if you see that as much in like the powerlifting groups, but I don't, I don't know about weird diets. John, you seen any any fun diets? Well, there's the always some sort of diet suggestion, but so my brother's a climber and lives out in Denver, and he's he's embedded oh, cool. in that culture. And it, Jared, I don't know if you know what you're stepping into here, bro. When it comes to some of that stuff, I probably don't, but I'm here. I've said what I've said. That actually brings up my next question. Because of the increase in popularity and really an increase in access, you know, when when my brother lived in uh, Massachusetts, they had this giant climbing gym. And actually in Bethesda, where we have no mountains in eastern Maryland, you know, we don't. But we have one of the largest climbing gyms on the East Coast. With that increase in popularity and that DIY kind of mindset – are you finding that like the coaching culture and clinical culture around climbing is starting to improve because of access? Yeah, because I think there are people who are finding their way to resources like clinical athlete or, um, you know, the kind of rehab that all of us do or training that all of us do um, is starting to get into the mainstream a little bit more so that, you know, that's happening in climbing too. But also, I mean, there's a lot of not great advice out there and 
people who maybe don't work with that athlete population either. Um, and people will go to them, like people will go to like their Kaiser PT or whatever, you know? Um, and it's like, okay, well that might work, but your Kaiser PT doesn't climb or like understand what's required of your fingers when you're climbing. So you might not get like all the way there with your Kaiser PT, but yeah, I mean, there's also a lot more, um, physical therapists, chiropractors, um, coaches and things like that emerging in the climbing industry, which I think is a great thing. Um, and because, you know, there weren't any, when I was, when I first got injured, there was literally not one physical therapist who worked with climbers specifically or understood those injuries. And now there's more and more, which I think is really cool because it does improve access to healthcare, um, for climbers all over the country. And then with, with people doing more like online consultations and stuff, like that's part of the reason why I started doing online rehab um, and consultations is because not because of COVID. I know a lot of people started because of COVID recently, but I was doing it before then just because um, there are a lot of climbers around the country who, who needed to talk to somebody who understood climbing. So um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. No, definitely. <laughs> it, it answers the question. And one of my favorite things to watch during all of COVID was Natasha building her wall in the, the, the back of her house like that where you just started building building this climbing wall. Like, this is the <laughs> coolest thing in the entire world. I knew so many people that would be so <laughs> envious of having that. It was really, really cool. Yeah, it's a pretty cool wall. That, that COVID was really um, what sparked me to get back into climbing a little bit more now because now I have a climbing wall in my backyard. I can climb whenever. How often are you setting those, those, those problems or roots? I haven't looked much at the wall, but... I mean, that's a fantastic thing, and I'm just excited knowing that you have it. Yeah, the cool thing about the wall that I have, so it's a tension board, which tension is also the same brand of the tension block that I mentioned earlier for rehab. I'm not I'm not sponsored by them or anything, but I, I, love, like, I love their products, and they know because I talk to them all the time. But um, the nice thing about my wall is that it's set like a certain way. So when you get the wall, um, I built the wall myself, but the the holds that come with it and the way that you set up the holds on the wall, uh, it comes with like explicit instructions. And so the wall is set up like a specific way that like anybody in the entire world could have the same wall. And we could all climb on the same climbs. Um, and the climbs are set up, there's LED lights um, under all of the holes. And so I can, I download this app and I can go on the app and there's climbs. There's like literally tens of thousands of climbs that are already set on this wall, which is one of the things I like about it. I don't have to think about like setting up a climb. I literally could just click on the app and like click on the difficulty that I want and it just lights it up and I can climb it. And like hundreds of other people have done the same climb, which is really fun. So tension. I don't know if you just heard Natasha talk about your stuff, but for the love of heaven, sponsor her. My word. That's awesome. That's actually, yeah, it's that's actually a really good point of context for a lot of people who may not really be experienced too much with climbing. I can tell you the first time I ever tried to do it, it kicked my ass. But there are difficulty levels here. There's ratings for pass. There's ratings that you can scale people into. So... Natasha, I want you to kind of go over, let's say they've worked through that hangboard. They have access to a climbing gym or they've got a sick wall in their backyard. You can actually objectively 
increase their their difficulty levels as time moves on to help them through that rehab process as well, correct? Yeah, you could do that, um, especially with like a systematic wall, like a wall system like I have, if they have something like that, and there's like a few different options for that. I've actually have a few clients, like a handful of clients who have the exact same wall that I have. So like we can literally talk about the same climbs because we both have them in our backyards or garages. Um, but yeah, you could do that. Um, it gets a little tricky just because the rating system, it's not like, you know, 400 pounds on a bar is 400 pounds on a bar with climbing. Like V4 is not the same as like other V4. So the, for bouldering, the scale rating is like, it's a V, it's a V scale and it goes from like V0 to V17. Now there's a V17 in the world, which is crazy. Um, but basically like the rating is helpful, but it's also going to be dependent on like the style of the climbing movement, the the holds that you're grabbing, the angle of the wall, uh, your specific body proportions. There's so much that goes into it. So like a one V4 that someone climbs could be okay for them when they have an injury and another V4, like a V2 could be like not okay, you know? So that's a conversation that I have to have with my clients about going in and like we can sort of use V grades to like ramp up the intensity, but we also have to be a little bit careful because it's going to be dependent on, you know, what their injury is and what their symptoms are. So sometimes I'm putting um, uh, constraints on like their climbing where we're like doing certain kinds of climbs. I don't really care what grade it is as long as it's tolerable for them, but we're going to avoid like a certain type of move or a certain type of hold. Um, and if you're a climber and I said the type of move or hold, you would know what that means. Um, and we would just do that. So there's like climbing is really cool because you can put constraints on people's climbing. And I do that all the time because it is hard to be like, okay, well just don't climb anything harder than V4 and you'll be okay. Um, that's not always true. So instead of doing that, I can put constraints on people's climbing. Like, okay, you can get on whatever you want on the climbing wall, but we're going to climb everything super slow and you're going to have to hover over each hold for two seconds before you grab it and reach for the next one. And that's going to force them to slow down. It's going to like artificially decrease the intensity that they're climbing at because they're not going to be able to do that on something really hard. Um, you know, I can also tell them that you should stay on a certain angle or avoid a certain angle. Um, like for example, a lot of elbow injuries, um, can get aggravated this isn't all of them but like some elbow injuries will get aggravated from like vertical climbing terrain because when you're on vertical climbing terrain you have to do a deeper like lock off with your elbow you're getting into more elbow flexion to reach on a vertical wall where when you're on a steep wall you're not ne- you're almost never pulling all the way into reach you're kind of staying in that mid-range with your elbow And some people's elbow injuries tolerate that better. So I can say you can get on whatever you want. Just make sure it's 40 degrees overhung or steeper. Um, And those are like some constraints we can put on people's climbing. Um, There's a lot of ones that we can do. But sometimes that's how we have to do it because the grade doesn't always correlate with the intensity necessarily for people. And also like... A V4 could be okay for someone, but a V1 that is very fingery might not be okay. So, Okay, Quinn, she said constraints three times. How excited are you right now? <laughs> I was watching him every time. I was kind of disappointed that he didn't just like get more and more excited. I mean, honestly, this this just that little bit right there um, 
confirms that if I get a, a climbing athlete coming into my office on Tuesday, I'm referring them out immediately because there's so much that I don't know. Um, I just, it's crazy, but, but that it's, it's so cool to hear things like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. You're just blowing my mind here like from a, like a strength training perspective. Cause you went deep into powerlifting. Like you did the sport of strength training essentially. And I want to get into that now that you've been going back into climbing if what it's like now being a different, like a different version of you. Um, but like, to table that for a second, even just like general strength training for a climber, is it similar to, let's say, niche, po- like a running population where it doesn't have to be fancy, it doesn't have to be complicated, but just like a very general basic strength training program can give you a lot of benefit. Rehab aside, is that the case with generally with the climbing athlete as well? Yep, yep, definitely. Like I try to keep it as simple as possible because most people who are coming to me either for training or for rehab are going to be basically novices when it comes to any type of strength training. So um, like the minimum effective dose is so much lower. We don't need to do anything fancy. Like literally if we're doing things that are going to train any part of your body, it's going to help. Um, and it can be as simple as like, you know, a really simple kettlebell program or dumbbell program, um, all the way up to like powerlifting style training. If that's what somebody wants to do and has access to, um, not, not exactly powerlifting, but like strength training with barbells is what really what I mean there. Um, but yeah, I, I try to keep it as simple as possible because you don't have to get into like a really complicated training program as a climber. Um, it doesn't have to, and because it's a skill sport, like it should not take away from your skill practice either. Um, you don't want to spend most of your time strength training as a climber. You want to do the minimum that you have to do to get stronger so that you can spend most of your time practicing your sport, like a soccer player or whatever other athlete, like you want to practice the sport. Um, and you're not, if you're new to strength training, you're probably not going to need a lot of it. Um, so I'm keeping it really simple. Sometimes when people come to me for training, they've already tried programs. Like for some reason, I think on Reddit or something like five, three, one is like very popular. And I'm like, you don't need to do that. Like you don't need to do that. Everyone does five, three, one. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, you could literally do like. I mean, it doesn't have to be, like, starting strength necessarily, but, like, literally, you could do, like, two sets of five on deadlift, and you're probably going to get stronger, like, if you've never done it before. Hey, y'all, Quinn Hennick here. Consider this a little brain break from our great conversation with Natasha Barnes about the climbing athlete. As you're listening to all these brain gains, you might be thinking, gosh, it would be awesome. If there was a free community that I could bounce ideas off of, refer to trusted providers, jump on live journal clubs and case studies and student calls and all that kind of cool stuff. Oh, wait, that exists. It's called the Kalu Community Facebook group. So if you haven't already, go to the link in the show notes and join that group, C-A-L-U Community. Read the pinned announcement, introduce yourself, read the units that we've compiled for you with the Kalu mission and some Kalu starter pack materials, papers, and podcasts. And obviously, if you haven't gotten your ticket yet for the 2021 Kalu Summit, get on that. It's happening this September. It's coming up quick. The link is in the show notes. We've got an awesome lineup of speakers, and it's going to be an amazing event. We promise that you're going to have a serious case of the FOMO if you don't join in on the fun. And now, 
back to the show. Are there some special considerations with strength training? Like, are you are you nudging some of the strength training towards, say, more pulling or overhead pulling versus you know horizontal push or something like that? Just like subtle considerations there that that might be different from a climbing athlete. I mean, climbers are getting a lot of uh, pulling, vertical and horizontal pulling already from their sport. So if they need more of it, if we, if we assess their needs and it looks like they need more of that, then we're going to work on that. But generally I'm working on a lot more upper body strength for climbers. And, um, I don't know if this is the right thing to say, but when I work with climbers, their training age for their upper body is different than their lower body. Oftentimes, like it's not uncommon for me to work with a climber who is bench pressing the same weight that they're squatting or bench pressing the same weight that they're deadlifting, or maybe not deadlifting, but squatting. Um, and that's just because they have more training for their upper body already. Um, but I still think, so doing a little bit more training for upper body is sometimes necessary because it is an upper body dominant sport. Um, and a lot of times people need a little bit more volume in that area to like make progress sometimes. And so definitely lots of horizontal pushing, pulling, um, vertical pushing and pulling. Um, we're definitely deadlifting. It's really, really good strength exercise for climbers. And then I am always trying to convince climbers to train legs, uh, to like do squats because a lot of climbers are like, well, I don't use my legs when I'm like, you don't really need leg strength when you're climbing. It's all pulling, but that's like absolutely not true. Um, and anyone who thinks that is probably not using their legs very well when they're climbing, um, because you're doing a lot of powerful pushing with your legs. You're doing a lot of like pulling with your legs, um, a lot of hamstring, like pulling with your legs, heel hooking and toe hooking, um, you're falling off of the climbing wall. If you're bouldering, you need to be able to land like without injuring your legs. Um, and there's a lot of professional climbers in the last few years who've actually been getting knee injuries, particularly ACL injuries from falling in climbing competitions or falling outside bouldering. And I think that maybe some of that could be prevented if we were doing some strength training off season for those athletes. Um, but yeah, so I'm always like, yeah, you still need to train legs. Like you're still using your legs and like maybe not quite as much as your upper body, but your legs are really helpful. And that's one of the things that I've noticed has changed in my climbing. Um, I use my legs a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot when I'm climbing these days. Um, and so, yeah, trying to convince climbers of that and also trying to convince them that they're not going to get huge legs from doing squats one time or two times a week um, <laughs> is another thing. Is that a pretty common common thing that you hear from climbers that not wanting to get bulky as they train their legs? Yeah, 100%. Like, it's a, still that myth. And climbing is like running or gymnastics or ballet where people are like, we don't want to get big. Like, it's going to yeah. slow us down. Uh, but honestly, like, it's not like, if you, I, I've had a lot of athletes and I personally have gained weight from strength training. I've gained intentionally and it has not, it has not affected my performance that much. Um, and other athletes of mine will gain a little bit of weight and, and say like, actually I'm performing so much better than I was before. Um, but you know, you don't even have to gain weight. Like you can get stronger without gaining weight. 
And so that's a lot of what I'm trying to convince climbers is like step one, you can get stronger without gaining weight. Step two, maybe we want to gain weight. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's, that's one of the pushbacks that I get. Um, or people are like, okay, I get it. Like I'll bench and overhead press and do all the upper body things, but like, I'm not doing lower body. Like uh, why would I need to do that for climbing? That's quackery. I don't need to train my legs. <laughs> so that's like some pushback that I get sometimes, but also I think a lot of climbers don't realize that like you, you are spending a lot of time in a squat position when you're climbing. Um, and I have personally noticed, and my clients have personally noticed that when you are squatting heavy, it's actually like one of the best like core exercises you can do for climbing. A lot of climbers um, are obsessed with training core and they do a lot of like gymnastics kind of core training or floor core planks, um, TRX, um, gymnastics bodies, um, like a lot of like levers and leg lifts and things like that. Um, but I've personally found just squatting and deadlifting heavy. Like I don't have any like problems with my core when I'm climbing. Like I don't have a problem staying tight or keeping my hips in or anything. Um, so we might not even need to do like extra core work if we're doing heavy lifting, including squatting. Well, and I can say too, Natasha's N equals probably like 1500, 2000. Mine is one. Um, shout out to my brother again. <laughs> Because he's the, the one climber that I work with. But he complete, competes in strongman at the same time. And to say that both of these sports haven't complemented each other, his injury risk lower. He did a – it's called a Hercules hold in his last strongman competition where you just hold out two handles. It was 315 pounds each hand. And he held it longer than heavyweights. And he's a sub-200-pound guy. He's gotten more enjoyment out of it. He can climb – his heart's content however much he wants, and he continues to get stronger. And really, over the last few years, he's only gained maybe five or ten pounds total. And his climbing's gotten better. His leg strength's gotten better. And his yep. strongman stuff has gotten better because his grip and his upper back and all the other benefits of climbing have helped. So it, he's going to geek out and share this with every single one of his, his friends because <laughs> it, life is climbing. But I can tell you as well yeah. that the experience I've seen with strength training and climbing together is monumental. Yep. I'm glad you're saying that because the more people that say, that say it, the better. And I feel like it's one of those things that people don't believe until they experience it. Like I've had a lot of people reach out to me on Instagram and they're like, I never believed it until I did it, but I've been strength training for the last year and I feel amazing. And I, I'm actually like heavier or maybe they're not, but they, they feel like it's helped them so much with their climbing. Do you, just to play devil's yeah. advocate, because you took it so far to powerlifting, to, to a sport of strength training, and now bringing it back, have there been adjustments that you've had to make, even even maybe from like technique standpoint or leverage standpoint, because your body's a little different than what it was? Have you have you noticed anything like that coming back to climbing now? No, um, no. Um, I noticed that like the styles of climbs that I gravitate towards has changed a little bit. So I would typically gravitate more towards climbs that are a little more vertical, a little more technique oriented, and a little bit more like finger strength, like small hold oriented. And now I find myself gravitating towards climbs that are more powerful, that have larger moves, um, that are a little bit more jumpy, um, 
I don't know. It just, it feels easier for me to do those things. My shoulders feel stronger. I feel like I can handle those things better. Um, those are things that I would typically have avoided before. And I could still do the technical crimpy things. Like I still like those things and can do them very well. But like now I actually, it kind of opened up this whole other style of climbing for me that originally I would probably have avoided if I hadn't built the shoulder strength and the, the leg strength that I have now to be able to climb those things. Um, so, yeah. I mean, obviously, I put on a bunch of weight for powerlifting. Um, I think I, so when I first started strength training, I was 112 pounds. And now, and I've been up to 160 pounds. I'm five foot two for reference. Um, now I'm at like 136. So I've dropped a little bit of weight um, from like my peak. You know, I had bulked up for powerlifting intentionally. Um, I don't think I would have like stayed at 160 though. That was more like, I want to bulk up and put up, put on as much muscle mass as possible and then kind of cut down a little bit. Um, but yeah, so I have lost a little bit of weight and I, and I do feel the difference, but I also don't think that climbers who have not done that need to lose weight. Um, so I don't want people to be like, well, see you, you needed to lose weight and then you felt better. Like, I don't want people to take that away from it. Like I was like powerlifting big for my frame size. I wasn't like, you know, I'm still 20 pounds heavier than I was when I was like performing at my best. Um, and I'm still performing at the same level, at least in the gym as I was when I was like at 112 pounds and honestly, probably better because like I said, I can do climbs that I wasn't able to do before. Um, and I, I'm not getting injured. I don't have shoulder pain, all those kinds of things. Natasha, this is awesome. I I know you guys are probably going to keep talking, but I want to thank you because I've, I've wanted to have this conversation for so long. So thank you so much. Yay. Yeah. Absolutely. Big you. fan. <laughs> I'm a big fan too. It's I'm mutual. a big fan. Keep, keep on going. Have fun, guys. <laughs> I'll see y'all soon. Bye, John. Bye. The, just on this kind of like body weight to performance conversation, because uh, I was just curious about this. Because obviously if you put on, like if your legs get bigger and stronger and you're just doing pull-ups when you're not able to use your legs and they're heavier, you're going to be like, oh, pull-ups are harder because it's like you're wearing weights, then that's not being used. And maybe that's what people think about when they think climbing because they keep like dichotomizing lower body, upper body as if their lower body doesn't exist. And Mm -hmm. so if I get heavier, then pulling my body weight is going to be more difficult but it sounds like what you're saying is, well, no, because like it's a total system. So you use your legs. It's rare that you're just hanging there. Like I've been to climbing gyms a few times, and when I'm watching people who know what they're doing up there in those like uh, really complicated climbs, and they end up dangling, that's not a position that they want to be in for very long. It doesn't seem like, and it doesn't seem like yeah. that's a position that you're in very long. So I, maybe that's this. The, the thinking is that because people don't feel like they're using their legs and if you put on weight, then it wouldn't be a net positive. Right. Yeah. I mean, people don't realize that like, it's not just dead weight that's hanging off your body. It's not just like this weight vest that you're wearing. Right. It's muscle that's working for you. And the argument is like, oh, well, climbing is a strength to weight ratio sport. But there's more than one variable there that we can manipulate, and one of them is going to be more sustainable. So, like, we can get lighter for climbing, and we can continue to get lighter for climbing to feel stronger, 
But how sustainable is that and how how healthy is that going to feel to you at a certain point? Whereas we can always get, we can also get stronger. And if we get stronger, then if we're actually putting on muscle, that's going to help us. Like that's more sustainable. There's other benefits that go with that too. And I think that people forget that like we're humans and like one day we're going to be old. And like, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to be the old person that falls down the stairs and break their hip. Nope. I want to be able to walk up the stairs when I'm old. And so, you know, it's an investment as well in like our future when we put on muscle mass. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's something that can work for you. It's more sustainable. Um, you're going to feel better. There's other benefits outside of climbing performance to getting stronger and putting on muscle mass. And I think people kind of like forget that. So, Are there any um, like silly thing i'm trying to think like people who get like too sport specific with with other sports like a weighted like a baseball bat that weighs four times as normal and it like totally throws off your swing but it's like oh i'm trying to get strong for my swing you know instead of just like i don't know doing like strength training movements and maybe some med ball throws or something are there any outlandish things in the climbing world that you've seen that are just kind of like don't you know save your money let's just come back to the basics like i don't know like using hand weights while you're or like wrist weights while you're climbing or like wearing vests or these types of things or maybe some of those things are beneficial yeah there's there's people that do that like there's people who will wear like a weight vest while they're climbing and um do other things like that and it's like okay well or you could just like train your fingers on a hangboard and then do some, do a little tiny bit of strength training and then do your climbing training on the wall. Like you don't have to do like weighted climbing to get stronger. Like there's other, I mean, you could do that and like maybe someone could make an argument for doing it in a specific instance, but weighted, like for example, weighted climbing, like using a weight vest to climb, uh, there's limitations to that. You're only going to be able to get so much stronger from that. You're only going to be able to use so much weight for that. There's much more like potent ways to get stronger that are not like putting a weight vest on when you're climbing. Um, and also like, you know, the argument can be made that like your skill, the skill degradation that happens because of the weight vest when you're climbing is training you to ingrain like bad patterns potentially. Um, whereas like if we just get stronger in the weight room and then practice our climbing on the wall, like that's not going to happen. You can still practice your skill well without having a weight vest on. So that's just one example. Um, I think there, you know, there's an argument that can be made for some of that training, but I think a lot of people are just like, they don't know how to get stronger or they don't, they've never been able to reliably get stronger through strength training. So maybe that's just not an option in their mind. So they're trying something else. I don't know, <laughs> but no, it does happen. Yeah, it's like sticking to the base. I mean, you see it in, in strength training too, you know, or if you've got like chains hanging off the bar, reverse bands pulling up and, you know, all these things where you're you're trying to overcomplicate the process. And, and Dude, those things right can- Right here, man. Yeah, I know. Well, I was just, I saw your video the other day and I'm just like, God damn, Jared. You couldn't, you couldn't just talk <laughs> no, to me about that kidding. in private. It just had to put me on. It's, it's, it's better this way. Sure. Uh, and it's like you said, like those things in in uh, with certain athletes, like can maybe yeah, let's try this, you know, because like you're super trained. We're gonna do something very specific for maybe a short period of time to see if we can get a little boost. Um, but those instances are few and far between, and and most, like you say, most people can just benefit from the basics. I was just curious. Um, 
This has been pretty freaking awesome. <laughs> Fact. Jared, do you concur? I I absolutely concur. Oh, we and can't hear like, you now, Jared. What? Oh, no. Hold on. Ugh. Still? I'm, I'm going to keep recording, so don't ruin this oh. show. T- am I back? There we go. Yeah. Wow, that was weird. <laughs> I, for the suspense, I, I did, in fact, concur. So I knew that was just <laughs> hanging in your mind. The listeners are going to be like, oh, damn. Jared <laughs> did, like, this silence. Jared didn't like it. My God, he hates climbing. I mean, after you just put me on blast for the reverse bands and chains. Oh, he's what dead. He, did, he just now, now his face is frozen. Good. I mean, it wouldn't it wouldn't be a podcast without technical difficulties. Exactly. Now, I wanted to ask okay. be, before we before we close, I wanted to ask for a clinician who's listening to this or a student because that's that's mostly who our six listeners are. They want to work with climbing athletes, but they don't have they don't have your knowledge base of the sport just in general. They you know they haven't accumulated that time. Um, w- but they do want to work with climbing athletes. Would you say like just kind of basics? Cause you're not going to get that experience without actually working with that population, but then you want to do that population. You want to give them the best that they can get. So mm-hmm. would you say um, some basics for like a new clinician student wanting to work with these is maybe learn about the sport, ask as many questions as you possibly can to get an idea of what the athlete is going through. Just some general recommendations to to get their foot in the door a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if they're interested in working with climbers, then yeah, learning as much about the sport as possible, um, talking to the athlete and asking lots of questions. I mean, you can kind of get an idea of what the requirements are of the sport if you talk to the athlete and you really try to get an idea of like what's required of them. Um, you can go online and take a look at climbing videos and look at what what people are doing in the sport. Um, you can pe- you can follow people online who do work with climbers. Um, and if people are working with climbers and they ever have questions, feel free to like reach out to me on Instagram or email. I'm happy to like answer any questions that they have about working with a climber. But um, I think they can get a pretty good idea of like what the demands are if they ask the right questions and just communicate really well with the athlete. Um, climbers in general are all going to benefit from strength training. Um, most athletes aren't doing that already. And it's a really low hanging fruit that like, even if someone's coming to me with a finger injury, like, why don't we do some strength training while we're working on this so that you can get stay, get and stay strong for climbing. Um, and so that we're not getting you, we're not starting from like square one with your climbing. You've already got some athletic base behind, you know, even if you can't climb, you can do some strength training to stay fit for climbing. Um, so that's always going to be a good idea for climbing athletes. Um, and you can work around whatever their injury is for that. So even if you can't do any climbing specific stuff with them, like I would say do strength training with them because most of them need it. Um, and then, yeah, just talking to the athlete and getting an idea of like what the requirements are of their sport. Um, ask the client. Often clients will know like, you know, is there some climbing you can do that doesn't aggravate this? Like, let's do that. What does that look like for you? Like, you'll be able to collaborate with the athlete and they'll be able to tell you like what's going on and what they can do and what they can't do. And most, most climbers want to be able to still do a little bit of climbing because it's a really social sport. Like people are going there to talk to their friends or going there to hang out with their friends. So even if they can't do like the climbing at the level that they were doing it before their injury, they're still going to want to be at the climbing gym. So like figuring out some, something that they can do at the climbing gym, whether it's their strength training 
training in their rehab or like some kind of climbing. And that can just come from having a conversation with the athlete and they're, they're going to know like what they can tolerate and what they can't tolerate. So that would be my recommendation. Um, there's also more and more research coming out on climbing and climbing injuries. So, you know, looking at that, some of that stuff is good. Um, and like maybe talking with other practitioners who do work with uh, climbing athletes, if that's something that you're interested in doing, like moving forward. Speaking of, where can people connect with you and follow all um, the stuff that you do? The best place to connect with me is on Instagram. And I'm just at Natasha Barnes. Uh, so they can hit me up there. My DMs are always open. Um, they can also email me through my website if they want to do that. Um, and that's just NatashaBarnesRehab.com. Those are probably the best two places. Um, don't hit me up on Facebook because I won't see it for like two months. I understand that. <laughs> I hate Facebook. Um, and yeah, those are probably the two best places. Yes, climbing wall, the better wall. <laughs> yeah. Not Facebook wall, climbing wall. Hey. Climbing wall, which just had I'm its still waiting on tension to sponsor you. Like it's kind hey. of it's kind of disappointing they haven't done it yet. I'm going to be your biggest advocate now. <laughs> Thanks, oh. <laughs> Natasha. This has been fantastic. Really, really great. I think people are going to get a ton out of it. Um, I'm excited to watch you continue to to grow everything and evolve. And it'll be it'll be fun to watch you uh, getting back into some climbing stuff yourself as well um thanks so much thank you to our six listeners jared thanks for joining man as always was happy to do it one last thank you to natasha barnes for the great information and conversation about the climbing athlete you can check out the show notes for ways to connect with natasha and follow her work and of course thank you to my homies jared maynard and john flag for steering this ship alongside me and thank you the clinical athlete community all six of you for joining us on this journey of knowledge and improved practice in both the gym and clinic and one more time Go to the link in the show notes, join the Calu Community Facebook group, and consider registering for the 2021 virtual Calu Summit. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you soon.